broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Alright, one last thought on um, having to go into the locker room to, uh, whether you want to call it face the music or face the person that you might have had to write something harsh about or say something harsh about, whatever the case might be. Um, and and it, it's a real thing, and it really does happen. And it's why, you know, it, it makes you a little bit more responsible in that regard. You could say, you know, if you're Skip Bayless, you're not going into any locker room anytime soon. You could say whatever you want about LeBron James. The chances of you guys crossing paths because you don't come to practice, you don't go to games, is nil. You could say whatever you want and feel really comfortable doing it. Well, uh, a few years ago, it was when <laughs> this is actually pretty funny. Um, it was when Dwight Howard was first with the Lakers. It was it 2012 or so, right? So things were not going well <laughs> for Kobe and and Dwight. Um, there was, it, it, and we're going to get to uh, Sam in just one second. Our good friend Sam Gordon. Things weren't going right for the Lakers. They weren't going right with Di- Dwight Howard and, and Kobe Bryant. That whole dynamic was was just a little skew- screwed up. So uh, it's the it's the day of a game. Right, and Lakers play at seven thirty over at the Staples Center. Uh, it's earlier in the day, and I get invited to do the ESPN show between the lines. Right, and so I forget where exactly I was, but I couldn't do it on live on camera. So uh, I did my segment, and they put a uh, for, in place of me being on camera, they put a picture of me uh, on on TV, and it, they just so happened to Google a picture of me, probably ten, twelve years. Ago, right from 2012, so it was like a 2002 picture, all right. And so I, I looked different. I mean, I was, it was 12 years before that. So um, I get to Staples Center. I walk into the Lakers locker room. Who's the first person I see? And by the way, I had to say some harsh things about Dwight Howard, and things really weren't working out. And a lot of it was his fault. He's a little bit playful. Kobe likes things a little bit more serious, you know, uh, whatever. So I, I, I was harsh on, on Dwight Howard. The first person I see as I turn the corner walking into the locker room is Dwight Howard. And he points a finger at him. He goes, dude, I saw you on TV earlier today. Now, when you're doing these TV spots, you don't think that the guy that you're talking about is actually watching. It just doesn't register in your head. You're just doing it, doing the interview, um, you know, and, and, and that's it. So I just, I kind of smile. I go, okay, what did I, you know, what I say? He's like, no, no, it's all cool. You're fine. It's all cool. You know, and he goes, but, but man, I gotta say, he goes, how long ago was that picture taken to you, man? You look completely different. You know, so we had a laugh about it, but you know, I, it, it made me remember and realize that, you know, what you say in these positions that I'm in and other Sam, uh, who's going to be joining us here in just a second, uh, are in, people are reading. And sometimes it's the very person that you're writing about. And so you have to be responsible about that. Criticism is fine. It's part of our job. But it can't be gratuitous. It can't be over the top. It can't be just for takes and hits and all that kind of stuff. If there's accurate criticism to be made, that's fine. Most athletes that I've ever covered understand that. It's when you go overboard and do it gratuitously that they don't like, and I agree with them. So that was my little Dwight Howard facing the music story, and all he cared about was how the hell long ago was that picture taken, dude? So anyway, it was pretty funny. We had a good laugh Vinny, about I am that. now scouring the internet looking for a young picture of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably there somewhere. Um, 
But uh, anyway, we're going to go out to, back out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend Sam Gordon uh, from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, my teammate. Uh, he covers everything under the sun, including uh, the Raiders. And Sam, uh, thanks a lot for spending some time with us in the huddle. Have you ever had an experience like that where, you know, almost, in my case, it was hours after I was on TV bashing Dwight Howard. I, I, I you know, crossed paths with him, and he was watching, so we had a good laugh about that. But have you ever been in that kind of situation? Uh, not quite, Vinny, not quite. I got I to gotta make it to TV first, but uh, no, <laughs> I, I um. For, not, not, not yet. Not, not at this stage. But you know, I, I heard, um, I heard a little bit of your story, and it, you know, you're, you're right. There's a, I think there's a, um, like you said, being critical is definitely part of the job. But it has to be. It can't be unfounded criticism. It has to be supported and articulated the right way, in a way that's fair, in a way that's respectful. And like you said, I mean, this is, you know, the we athletes. You're going to get attention. You're going to get. You're, you're going to get, have a lot of eyes on you. There's going to be a lot of criticism. We know that they're at the peak of the profession and doing amazing things. But like you, like you were touching on, you know, athletes are people too, and there is a there is a fine line. And, and we have, we as um, as journalists, as media personalities, columnists, pundits, whatever you want to call it, um, have to be responsible with our platforms and make sure that we're we're, we're using them the right way. So, uh, but but not nah, not quite. I I haven't, and I admire how you handled and how Dwight handled it. It's all in good fun, right? That you guys were able to have a laugh. So. Thankfully, um, thankfully that happened, and I, I'm with Demond. We got to go. We got to dig that picture up as soon as possible. I'll try to find it. I'll try to find it. Um, do you think that some of us in our industry, Sam, uh, are taking it a little bit too far? We saw what would happen with Kwame Brown. Um, we see what happen, is happening in tennis right now. Um, you know, and and uh, um, and and all that, and so. You know, I, I, I'm trying to, you know, you try to find the reasons. Like, what can we do better? Do you feel like, and we see all these incidents where fans are, are running out on the court or spitting on people or dropping, you know, popcorn on people. And I just wonder what role do some of us play in this? And are some of us being a little bit irresponsible? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. I, I think, you know, as, yes, these are, you know, a lot of cases, multimillionaires and people who have reached the peak of their profession and in in our you know they 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 have a certain status that that you know is is admirable and, and enviable for a lot of people but that doesn't mean that athletes elite athletes aren't human beings that don't feel things and that don't hear the criticism and that don't get hurt by it yeah you know you develop really thick skin going that far and you clearly anybody who's at that elite level has extreme mental toughness like let's be clear about that like yes you know professional athletes People at the peak of the profession are, are really, really good at what they do. But in order to separate yourself and get there, you have to have extreme, extreme, extreme mental toughness. Um, they're the mentally tough of the mentally tough. And, but with that in mind, when you got millions of people watching or millions of people pointing fingers or cracking jokes like that, you know, that hurts. I, I, I get it, right? We get, we get criticism sometimes in our profession just as, as journalists. And, you know, I think, of course, you, you learn to block a lot of that out and tune all of it out. But it's not fun by, by any means, right, Vinny? Like, nobody wants to get ridiculed or wants to get made fun of on any kind of platform. So I, I think it's, you know, it's, there's, again, one thing with being responsible and pointing out a critique and using evidence to support it. And then there's another, you know, being inflammatory or, you know, making jokes or, or trying to be too comical about things that I think there's, there's a, a very, very fine line there. And, um, and I, you know, all respect to, to, to Naomi Osaka for, for prioritizing herself and communicating that, Hey, look, some of these, yeah, I'm a world-class tennis player, but some of these questions, you know, after I play poorly, like, that hurts, and I don't want to deal with that right now. And that's essentially what she said 
And I think it's fostering a really healthy dialogue about mental, not not just mental health, but the way to um, the way to cover, uh, you know, the, the way to cover the way that we need to cover sports and how we need to be responsible with our platform. Be objective, be fair, provide criticism, uh, but but don't be gratuitous and, and never make it personal because this is it's it's they. They have the the profession where everybody can see what they're doing and, and and can talk about it. Like most people don't have to deal with that stress or pressure. Most people, if they make a mistake at work, it's not in front of fifty million people or, or twenty five million. So, um, yeah, we, we we as journalists need to find that 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 fine line where we're fair and we're honest to our readers and our listeners, but we're, where we're not taking it too far and, and doing too much ridiculing. You know, just because athletes have tens of millions of dollars doesn't mean they're clearly. I mean, we this. We, we've seen this topic being talked about more and more, which is great. It doesn't mean they're immune to, to feeling sad or, or feeling pain when, or, 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 or the spotlight or the pressure of, of those kind of platforms. So there, there's definitely a fine line, and, and we as journalists need to make sure we're responsible. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, um, you know, I just, I, I just wish that cooler heads can prevail. Or, you know, like we saw with Kwame Brown getting into it with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, I feel like Stephen A. Has, has crossed the line. He's gotten gratuitous about it. We get it. Kwame Brown didn't live up to expectations. It doesn't make him a bad human being, and it doesn't make him, um, you know, it, it doesn't mean that he has to suffer a whole lifetime now of being put down and ridiculed and made fun of. It just, it's, it's, it, it, it doesn't. It just doesn't. And and you know, I, I, you know, I'm getting off on a, on a little bit of a, a you know a tangent here, but it just, I, I it needs to. It needs to stop a little bit or be curtailed a little bit. Entertainment is entertainment. But when somebody's been out of the spotlight, you know, for X amount of years now, just let it go. So, you know, I'm sure there's another punching bag you can find Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless. It's not very hard for you guys to do that. Um, if, if Once your time is over, you should be absolved from all that. But that's that's just me. All right, Sam, we're going to get to football. Uh, that's, that's you know, we do a Raiders show here, obviously. Uh, tomorrow, um, you know, we're, we're going to be able to get back into the building and uh, see some practice. Uh, day two for us, the media um, of, uh, of OTAs and seeing some of these guys out on the field. What is it specifically that you would like to see uh, tomorrow? Um, anybody in particular that you're keying on after that first wave of last week? Yeah, I just I, I call I'm, the, what I'm focused on. I think one of the key the key storylines, Vinny, for me with this particular group is listen. We know all about the defense and, and, and the, the changes on the defensive side of the ball and, and what's going to be happening. But I want to see how this offensive line starts to come together and build chemistry. I mean, it's it's essentially a brand new group. And, and Richie Incognito, you know, talked about that a little bit during his media availability last week about how he's you know the the, the OG on the offensive line now, um, you know, the vet so to speak, and is going to be you know, in, in ways responsible for helping foster that chemistry and getting that group to come together because he's been doing this, you know, at a high level for 15-plus for years now. So how does Alex Leatherwood continue to, to assimilate to the, to the NFL level? Um, what, what's going to be happening at that right guard spot? Uh, what's, how about Andre James at the center position? How is that offensive line continuing to gel? So for me, uh, I, I'm confident based on all the, the, the signings and the transactions, the draft picks that have been allocated, to this defense, that that unit is going to be better, and not to mention the Gus Bradley factor and his coaching and what he's going to be able to do in terms of putting players in positions to be successful. But this offensive line, I think, you know, even with Tom Cable coaching and pulling those strings, and we know what he does at a high level, it's still you still want to see how it comes together. I think there's still some question marks there. I expect it to be a very fine unit, 
um, come the 2021 season. Might take a little time to find his groove. But to me, that's where I think the biggest question mark remains on that offensive side of the ball. You know what you're going to get from Derek Carr. Uh, you know what you're going to get from Darren Waller. There's an expectation that the young receivers are, are going to continue to improve and, and be a little bit more productive. And you got the right vets in there at receiver as well with, with John Brown and, and Willie Snead, guys that have been impact players in this league. But, but if the offensive line doesn't gel and if that group isn't solid, and again, I, I think it will be. That's, that's what I think it's going to be with, with the personnel they have and with Tom Cable. Uh, without that a solid offensive line play, that the offense is, you know, you can forget about who you have on the perimeter. You can forget about who you have at tight end. It all starts up front, and, and that group being new is something I'm definitely uh, going to be keeping my eye on going into the 2021 season. What do you think is a real, like, realistic expectation numbers wide, numbers wise for Henry Ruggs? I'm going to put you on the spot here, Sam Gordon. I think it's reasonable to you know expect between 750, 850 yards, and you know five or six touchdowns, and and. That would be a tremendous, you know, that would be almost 400 yards more than he had last year. And it would, would signal to me that there's going to be a tremendous step forward. First off, um, like you mentioned, Vinny, bigger, stronger, um, has a full year of film, uh, knows what it's like to play at the NFL level. And uh, would, would guess that his route running is going to be more refined now that he's had time to study film, time to see how to get in and out of breaks, time to actually work on those things on the field, you know, whether it's on his own, throwing with teammates, you know, doing whatever. He, he knows what it's going to take to get open at the NFL level. And now I think the Raiders have an understanding of who he is as a player, you would think, after a full offseason, how they can get him the ball. So I'm not, you know, just with, with his 4-2 speed, like he doesn't need to necessarily be a guy that puts up 1,500 yards. Like you're not looking for him uh, to be, uh, you know, prime, prime Randy Moss or prime T.O. Like you're not. But, you know, a couple, couple deep, uh, you know, a couple long touchdowns. You, you maybe get him involved in the screen game a little bit, figure out how to get him loose there, some gadget plays for him. And then with his national development, I, I think the Raiders would be more than happy if that was his output. Because, again, your number one receiving option isn't a wide receiver. It's Darren Waller, who's just, you know, technically a tight end. He's just a football player. You can line him up anywhere. I mean, he set franchise receiving records last year, and at 28, going on 29 this season, is, is in the, the, the dead center of his prime. Uh, as a player in the NFL. So he, he can be your number one option. But if you get 750, 800, 850 yards from Henry Ruggs, you know Hunter Renfro is going to do his thing, and, and the running backs are going to be involved in the, passing, in the passing game as well. Brian Edwards takes a step. I think there's more than enough firepower uh, for Derek Carr to go to, and, and I think that would be a, a fair, uh, uh, a fair uh, expectation of Ruggs now in year two, given that he's had a chance to – he's going to have an offseason program behind him and that he has a full season to study and go off of. Can we make a comparison between Henry Ruggs and, and like a Tyreek Hill? I'm looking at Tyreek Hill's first year. Okay, 62, he played 16 games, so that makes a huge difference. It looks like he was healthy the whole year. Uh, 61 catches, 593 yards, all right, six touchdowns. He also had 24 carries for 267 yards, so they were getting him the ball um, mm-hmm. you know, in various different ways. That second year, Sam Gordon – it went up to 75 <laughs> catches for 1,183 yards, seven touchdowns, 17 carries for 59 yards. Um, I just, I, you know, I, I'm wondering if, uh, if Henry's capable of even more than 800 yards, if they, if they get him the ball, if they make it a point uh, to get him the ball. Cause, and am I, am I barking up a wrong tree to say that, hey, maybe those two players can have – some similar usage rates and, and ways to get them the ball? 
Yeah, I mean, I, if, if he does do that, uh, I don't think it would be, I mean, it wouldn't be a crazy, right? Like, I, I think the Raiders obviously would definitely take that. The more production you can get out of him, the better. But um, if he does that, yeah, I, I think that would be even exceeding, you know, at least what my expectations are. Because we saw last year, even though he didn't have the most production, his speed still opened things up for other guys. But I think when you look at Tyreek Hill, and that's not, you know, Tyreek Hill is one of one. That's not to say Henry Ruggs is going to be Tyreek Hill. But he, you know, again, had a year of experience. His coaching staff had the opportunity to figure him out more, and he was able to, to, to take time in between year one and year two to get better, to focus on polishing up uh, some of the finer points of the position. And you look at him now, yeah, we, we know him as a deep threat, but there's nothing he can't do because he spent that time developing and because he had a coaching staff that made a, that made a point to get him the ball and to scheme up plays to get him into in advantageous situations. Uh, it, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not ridiculous. I, I, there's a world in which that happens for Henry Ruggs. I just think, you know, I don't think he needs to do that, though, for his season to be considered a success. Like, if he goes up to 850, 800, 850 yards uh, from year one to year two, still only 22 years old, it's not like he's, you know, 28, you know, it would be his second year in the league. I still think that's a very positive, that would be a very positive development for, for, uh, for him and for the Raiders. But if, if they can get that out of him, and if he produces like that, geez, that, then this offense has a lot more upside than it, than it did last year. And last year, as we saw, I mean, there were several games where it was a very, very, very good unit. Now, it struggled at times late in the season, but you saw the seeds of what that offense can be. And you know, the Kansas City game, I think, and at Arrowhead is the one you go to where everything was clicking, and Henry Ruggs was definitely a big part of that, flashing his capabilities as a big play receiver. So it's on the Raiders to, to do a better job of scheming him up and getting him in situations uh, that are advantageous for him. And, again, I think he's, he's going to be more nuanced, more refined, and bigger, stronger, faster uh, in 2021. And now he has a handle on the position, 1,100 yards. It seems like a lofty goal, and it seems like a lot. But when you think about that, when you break it down, that's, what, 68, 69 yards per game. It's not even 75 yards a game. And, and that's, that doesn't seem like it's completely unreasonable when you put it on those terms. I just... I just don't think that, that that would be necessary in order for his second season to be deemed a success. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, absolutely. And that was in 15 games uh, for, uh, for, for Tyreek. So he went from 37.1 yards uh, per game receiving his rookie year uh, to 78.9. And, you, okay. know, I, I, you know, you just look at it and you're like, okay. Um, you know, but his touches went up as well. Or, excuse me, the targets went up for, went from 83 to 105. So part of it is – is them making it a point to get him the ball uh, and, and targeting him, uh, which part of that is also Tyreek Hill making himself available, being where he's supposed to be, um, gaining tr- or developing trust and confidence uh, with the quarterback that when he gets the ball, he's going to make something happen. That's going to You're going to tend to throw the ball to guys that are making something happen with the ball. So that's on Henry Ruggs to show early on that, that he's taken that step. And if he does, then that's, to me, Sam – uh, and I'll let you, we'll let you go here in just a second. To me, a lot of that is on Henry Ruggs. Yes, scheming it up for sure uh, is going to help, and that, that's on John Gruden and the offensive staff. But there's some responsibility too, I would think, from Henry Ruggs to show that he's ready to do something with the ball when the ball gets put in his hands. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely twofold, and I think we'll have a pretty good handle after the first, you know, three or four games, uh, what, what, how the Raiders are going to feature him and what kind of improvements um, he's made. Because if he's ready to go and it showcased 
you know, that he's taken that step forward and is ready to get open in a myriad of ways, we know the Raiders are going to go to him and feature him again. They drafted him. He's the first receiver taken in the, 29, uh, you know, the 2020 draft. Like, it, he was drafted with the intention of being a big-time impact player in this league. You don't draft a guy in, in, in that early for him to, to just be a decoy, you know, kind of what he was last year. So, yeah, they're, they're, the onus definitely is on rugs, and it's looked like he's put the work in um, physically to, to, to get stronger and, and to be able to, uh, you know, shake free of some of those defensive backs more. Um, I, I was talking to Tim Brown about this, Vinny, a few weeks ago and asking him, you know, what – what he saw from Ruggs and kind of what he hopes to see next year. And he told me, he said, look, you know, you can have that 4-2 speed, but if you're not 100% confident in what you're doing, it's hard to play that fast. And now that he's been able to, again, go back and have a full game of film, now you're getting these reps uh, in OTAs, you're going to have an understanding of what you're doing going into training camp, and you're going to be that much more confident going into your training camp, going into your second NFL season, if he has the handle on everything like that, then he can play at that 4-2 speed. Then, then defenses can feel that more consistently. He's going to get open more. He's going to open things up for other guys. And he's going to make himself, like you said, available um, to, to Derek Carr more often. And you're going to see more stuff schemed up for him. So it's, it's definitely twofold. But, but I think it's totally reasonable to expect an, an uptick in his production given his, you know, his rare speed. I mean, he's one of the handful of 4-2 guys in the NFL at the receiver position. Like, time to go see what he can do and, and turn him loose in year two. Do the Lakers get it done tonight, Sam Gordon? I think LeBron James turns back the clock, and we see 2012-2013 LeBron, KCP back out there. Um, these are these are games historically, Vinny, that LeBron has made a statement in, and his teams play well when their back, backs have, uh, are up against the wall. And uh, I still think at age 36 he has it. It feels like you know through the first four games of the series he's kind of pacing himself and, and, and trying to pick his spots, and he's been very, very effective. But with no Davis, he has an understanding of that going into the game. I, I think there's going to be a, a high level of focus from him, and when he plays like that, guys tend to respond. So I don't think it's going to be a pretty game. Uh, this has been a very defensive series. You think about all this offensive fire, firepower, these two teams have been really, really good defensively, and, and I expect a close game tonight, uh, but I think LeBron James and the Lakers get it done and go back to Staples and close them out in six. You can follow him at by Sam Gordon. He's always got you covered, uh, whatever it is that he's covering, which is a lot. Sam, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Enjoy the game tonight, and uh, we'll see you hopefully tomorrow. You too, Vinny. Sounds good. Thank you. You got it. That's Sam Gordon for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, you can follow him at by Sam Gordon. You also uh, download the app Vegas Nation, uh, or just type it in. Um, you know, uh, on your computer, VegasNation.com. You can read all of Sam's work. You can read all of my work uh, as well. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. I think this year I'm um, just being more consistent, you know, just, you know, playing under control, you know, not really, you know, taking that many, you know, wild hits, um, getting myself knocked out of the game, hurting my own body. And then just coming every day, you know, coming to work, you know, just being consistent, like I said, being consistent, being disciplined, and just constantly just doing my job in and out, just grading with pluses. It's great filling my grade sheet up with pluses every single day um, and every Sunday, and then I think my game will blossom. That is Jonathan Abram. The Raiders' third-year safety. I wrote about Jonathan uh, today. You could read the story 
uh, over at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Just download the app, Vegas Nation, uh, or go to VegasNation.com and check out the story. Uh, and, you know, what I kind of pointed out was, at least early on, watching Jonathan at practice, talking to him uh, as we did on Wednesday, there's just a little bit more of a serious tone uh, to Jonathan Abram. It happens. We grow up. Um, priorities change. And not to say that his priorities weren't in, in the right place by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I just feel like now going into year three, uh, some of the issues that he dealt with yesterday or not yesterday, last year, um, you know, there was a lot to do with COVID-19. He missed weeks of practice uh, due to contact tracing, had to go out onto the field on Sundays and play without preparation. Uh, there were mistakes that he made on the field. There were poor angles at times on on tackling. As he mentioned, kind of trying to make the big play every play. You don't have to do that. Um, That's not how you succeed at this level. Doing that sometimes actually has the opposite effect. It could lead to injuries, and we've known that obviously – from his first year and then last year as well, uh, there were some reckless hits that he's taken that have taken him out of the game. It also puts his team sometimes when, you know, the goal is to make the big splashy play all the time. It leaves the team sometimes in a vulnerable position, you know, because sometimes you're over-aggressive. And you miss a tackle, and what should have been maybe a five-yard gain or a 10-yard gain is a 40-yard gain because, you know, you went for the big play instead of just the sound, prudent play. And I think Jonathan Abram, hearing him talk this past week, it sounds like that's starting to register with him a little bit. It's not always about the splashy play. It's not always about making the big, huge play. The great ones are consistently where they need to be and consistently make the plays, whether it's the small play or the big play. That's what they focus on, being in the right place at the right time, being where they're supposed to be, making the fundamental play, using proper technique. And the big plays happen when you're where you need to be. That's how things happen. You're going to get your hat on a ball. It's going to cause a fumble. You're going to be where you need to be on a pass play. You're going to get your share of interceptions. More importantly, or just as importantly, you're not going to be giving up the big plays. And Jonathan Abram, unfortunately, gave up a lot of big plays or gave up his share of big plays. And on top of that, you know, some of the over-aggressiveness, if you want to call it recklessness sometimes, you know, that's probably a fair statement, also resulted in, in him getting dinged up, you know, because you're just kind of flinging your body around there and just trying to, you know, make that big highlight play. The highlight plays come on their own, you know, listen to a baseball, an old baseball player Uh, talk on MLB Network a couple of nights ago about how home runs, if you're swinging correctly, if you're taking the right approach as a batter, a lot of times home runs are mistakes by the batter. Ideally, you're trying to drive the ball up the middle, and there's a spot on the bat where you square up, and if you hit it the way you're being taught, 
uh, with the right approach, you're just banging the ball into center field for a hit or into the alley, one side or the other for a double, for extra base hits. You know, that's when you know that you're doing it right. Sometimes it's just you miss it by a quarter of an inch where, you know, you really want the bat to be. And as a result, you drive it out of the park. The point being, it's not good to try to hit home runs. That's how strikeout happens. You let it come naturally. I mean, I, I use the, the, he uses the word mistake. You know, it's just kind of it's semantics. It's, it's, you know, if you're consistently doing something, consistently doing something, consistently doing something, every so often you'll be a quarter of a whatever inch off on real, where you're really striving to be. And that actually is, is when you hit the home run. Because you get the pull and the, the ball comes off the bat a little bit differently and, and the way you're following through, it, it elevates it and now you hit it out of the park, which is a great thing. You want that to happen. But you're not trying to do it. You're not trying to hit a home run. And it's kind of ironic because his whole point was young batters are now talking – it's almost as if that is the entire – objective is to try to hit the home run, hit it as hard as you can, as high as you can. Swings are being taught differently as a result. Look at the batting statistics right now. It's horrible. Strikeouts are way up. Hits are down. Contact is down. Guys are just swinging and they're being taught to do this. And maybe analytically, it, it, it all comes out in the wash at the end. It sure doesn't look like it because right now, pitchers are dominating the sport of baseball. And it's gotten, gotten to be kind of a boring game in a lot of ways. But a, part of that is because of how batters are now being taught to hit the ball from an early age and the approach that they have. And, you know, who wants to see a bunch of strikeouts all the time on the, you know, uh, off chance that you're going to get a hold of one and because guys are big and strong, you know, and they're trying to do it, they're going to hit it out, you know, um, as a result. But it comes at a, at a cost and the, the better, just the hitting, getting on base, hitting the ball hard somewhere where they aren't, <laughs> um, it, it kind of falls by the wayside a little bit. I guess they know what they're doing, but I don't know. It doesn't look like that right now statistically. And you take that back to a Jonathan Abram who last year, almost all the time it seemed like, or too many of the times, it looks like he was going for the home run. And that's how mistakes usually happen, or that's how bad plays sometimes happen. Strikeouts happen when you're trying to hit a home run. Home runs happen when you're actually not <laughs> trying to hit the home run more often than not. You're just trying to make good contact and be a good, sound, fundamentally sound hitter. The home runs will take care of themselves because sometimes the pitch is pitched perfectly and hits the bat exactly where it needs to be on that, you know, even though you're not trying to do that. But you're doing everything right from a technical standpoint that every once in a while the ball hits the bat exactly where it needs to, to for it to become a home run. But you, the point is, again, you're not trying to do that. Jonathan Abram was trying to make the big plays all the time. And that put him and his team in vulnerable positions too often. Now, you look at, you know, uh, if, if you look at what Jonathan Abram does well, 
and I wrote about this, uh, run defense, you know, he was graded in, by Pro Football Focus in the, in the 60s, pass rushing in the 60s. I think it was like 67 point something percent out of a, on a, on a uh, scale of 100. Um, it was the pass coverage where he wasn't good, and it was in the 30s. So, um, you know, playing the position that he's going to play now, closer to the line of scrimmage where it's going to accentuate the, you know, the run defense and the pass rushing and kind of put him in smaller spaces on the field uh, to kind of uh, um, mitigate some of the pass coverage uh, deficiencies. But it's also on him to play the game in a more sound, prudent, intelligent way, not always going for the home run. That's where the strikeouts happen, and that's where some of the big plays happen as a result going the other way. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mitch is in New Jersey. How you doing, Mitch? How's it going, Vinny? I'm doing good, man. Good. I'm glad you uh, didn't say anything stupid when you ran into uh, you ran into uh, Dwight Howard. He's a big dude. He should be playing better. <laughs> he was I a mean, good dude. He was a good dude. I, I, I liked it, Dwight. Yeah. Um, Shaq was bad. This is oh, what well, yeah. team, these small market teams. they got to keep their size. they got to do something about it, but it's got a little bit out of hand. But I disagree. you got to go over there thinking home run. you got to be thinking positive. And well, yeah, yeah, of course, little, of course. You want to take your pitcher's head off? Yeah. you got to be swinging, pulling the ball, or going with the pitch. Not, not, not up the middle. Come on. Now, you got you to be going for the home runs. I think they did it in the <laughs> ball a little bit. What, what, they, did they raise the mound too? Well, that's probably the next thing. No, they're, they're literally being taught to basically swing from the heels, and that's why strikeouts are way up because guys are missing the ball. <laughs> they're missing the ball because they're over – over swinging and and you know it's it's all launch angles and upper swing and all that kind of stuff where um, it, it's hitters of another you know generation where they where they just hit the ball way better than they are right now. We're taught to you know you know that you're on the pitch when you're when you're hitting it right up the middle uh, into a gap you know for an extra okay. base hit. That's what you are looking to do: level swings um, and and making contact and you know. The home runs will come if you're a big, strong guy. Even if you're not, you're gonna, you're gonna. It's it's gonna work out. It's it's when you're trying to do it all the time where you're starting to see these numbers that are just ridiculous. It's bad. I mean, hitting right now is it's just terrible, and it's not fun to watch. Yeah, with the no hitters, they got they got to bring the DH back to National League, and I figured with football losing their bats, they're gonna be losing football players that are gonna be gravitating towards baseball and basketball. The money's better. It's a little safer. I would think you could be seeing more Willie Sargers and Dave Parker soon. Frank Howard's, you know, I'm not, I'm not too far from your time, so, you know. Uh, it could be. The one thing yeah. that football has going for it is that there's 53 guys on a team. You know, so there's more spots open in football at the professional level, at the highest level. There's just more roster spots. And, you know, like in baseball, you have to either be able to pitch really, really well or hit the ball really, really well. Or defend the ball, you know, be a be a great defensive player. But you're going to have to hit the ball, and that's not easy to do. And it takes repetition oh, no. and practice and practice. Whereas in football, hey, if you're a big guy, you can block and you can move. There's there's all kinds of different positions for all different types of skill sets and size and speed and all that. That's where to me, football is is more inclusive. There's more. There's so many different positions that you know, um, it's you know, you don't have to do one or two things. Or else, 
you know, you have to do what your position demands. Well, the basically got minor leagues. You have four or five. I think they laid off some minor league teams, you know, they claim poverty. But you do have minor leagues, and I think it paid something. Uh, the bonus is uh, nice. Yeah. To stretch out, but you do have that. And it's still, it's still the toughest. I think it's the toughest to get in. They're all tough. I mean, it's the cream and the cream. And you mentioned about, um, I know he was a boss, Quine Brown, but I can't take Steve, Steve Smith and then, and, um, Skip Bayless, whatever his name is. Well, have they, uh, oh, this guy's really quiet. Jamarcus, Jamarcus Cousins, not Jamarcus, Jamarcus Russell. Right. I don't know, I don't know who, I don't know who stole more money, uh, Brown or him. Yeah, but, um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that Kwame Brown stole. Yeah, yeah I, I, Kwame Brown didn't steal anybody's money. He played in the league for 13 years. That means teams kept asking him to come back. Why? Because he actually did serve a purpose. He was a really good defensive yeah, he player. He, he was, was a good defensive guy. player, he and yeah, he, he 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 rebounded the ball. He wasn't a great scorer. That's what gets held against him. He, had, he didn't have great hands, and you had to have great hands in basketball because if the ball is coming to you, you have to be able to catch it. Too often, his hands weren't up to par. They just weren't, and a lot of fumbles, a lot of you know uh, turnovers as a result. But he he stayed in the league for thirteen years because he did something that actually helped his teams and or or that teams and coaches found value in. Jamarcus Russell Kwame Brown, didn't you see the screens I was setting? Are you not entertained? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and 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 again, that 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 you know, guys like Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless who just probably don't I mean, Stephen A. Smith, I don't understand why he he played basketball. Uh, but there is merit in what Kwame Brown was being asked to do, even if it was setting a screen. Um, you know, uh, uh, Mitch, thanks for the call. I tell this story a lot. You know, I worked for the Lakers back in the day, all right? And one of my jobs uh, was every time a transaction happened in the NBA, the team that made the transaction would send out a new updated roster to all the other teams, right? So one of my responsibilities was every time a new um, roster came in, I would have to replace the old one with the new one, right? So it's during the off season and, you know, teams make some moves, whatever. And, and, you know, here comes, I think it was the New Jersey Nets at the time here. There's their new roster. Um, putting the new roster, replacing the old roster uh, in the, in the book that we had. And so I'm looking over the, roster of the New Jersey Nets. And I'm, I'm, I, I, I think I'm just by myself. Nobody's around that I know of. And I come up to a name, Chris Dudley. Grew up in San Diego, I think it was. Went to Yale. Was just a, you know, uh, a, a center <laughs> that, you know, couldn't score very much. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I kind of laughed. I go, Chris Dudley. You know, that I said it to myself. I didn't realize I said it kind of out loud. And I didn't realize that anyone was there listening at the time. Well, guess who was there listening at the time? None other than Jerry West. And he's looking over my shoulder. And he hears me kind of chuckle after reciting the name Chris Dudley. And he says to me, and this is, I, I, I learned a lesson right here. I learned many lessons from Jerry West. This was one of them. He's like, hey, man, don't laugh at Chris Dudley. I don't care that he can't score a lick. He's going to be able to rebound for you. He's going to be able to uh, defend for you. He's going to be able to give fouls. He's, you know, he's a smart player. Uh, that that guy right there is probably going to last a good ten years in the NBA. You're laughing at him, but he's going to make this amount of money. He's going to help these teams. He's a good, solid player. I don't care that he can't score. And it made me realize right there, like, who am I to be laughing at a guy like Chris? Like, I don't know the sport enough 
to mock somebody. And here's Jerry West, one of the greatest of all time, and one of the and arguably the greatest talent talent evaluator at all all times, telling me, shut up. He's not worthy of you laughing. You don't laugh at a guy like Chris Dudley. I don't care if he can't score or how much fun people make of him. This dude can play in the NBA and help a team win. And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Chris Dudley, of all people. Go look him up. Go look him up. Couldn't even hit free throws. But he stayed in the NBA because he did something of value that only 1% of the population at any given time can provide at that level. So think about that. When you think about Kwame Brown... 13 years in the NBA, he was doing something right. Stephen A. Smith, Skip Bayless, all you morons. In the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the Huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. So, uh, yeah, Chris Dudley, it probably was 1989, 1990 that I chuckled about Chris Dudley. It's like, Chris Dudley. That's what I said. Like, Chris, come on, Chris Dudley. And Jerry West, looking over my shoulder, said, uh, dude, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm telling you right now, Chris Dudley is going to play a long time in the NBA. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to do that. I don't care if he can't score the ball. That's not what he's being paid to do, and that's not what he's going to do, and that's not what's going to keep him around this league for a long time. Chris Dudley was like 23 years old at the time, had barely done squat. Chris Dudley <laughs> played until he was 37 years old, averaged 3.9 points per game. That was meaningless. It was everything else that he did and contributed to good teams in the NBA, to teams in the NBA. Ended up making about $40 million. I know in today's money, that's not you know uh, a, a huge number, but $38 million, $48, $40 million, you're going to take that? Yes, you will. Played for 17 seasons or so. <laughs> and I laughed at him like he was, you know, garbage. And there was Jerry West to tell me, dude, you don't know what you're talking about, so stop laughing. I learned a lesson that day. A big lesson. And, you know, it's something that I've always reminded myself. Like, it's funny when I hear people on Twitter or see people on Twitter, you know, uh, just some of the things that they say. When I go out to, to Raider practice or practice in general, whether it was covering the NBA or, or when I was with covering the Rams – you quickly realize how good these guys really are, like the precision of their play, how unbelievably talented the players that get to this level are. Now, relative to some of their other teammates, obviously you have the ones that are just Hall of Fame good, very, very good, really good, you know, a meat and potatoes guy that, you know, serves his purpose, and some guys that, you know, they got to hurry up and get it together or else they're not going to be for long. But even those guys are incredibly good. It's for whatever reason, sometimes it doesn't translate uh, on the big stage and they just can't get it together. And there's a lot of reasons for that that don't even have to do with talent. Sometimes it's just, you know, they're, they're not able to grasp it. Sometimes they overthink it. Um, you know, I always tell a story about that offensive lineman with the, with the, uh, with the, the Los Angeles Rams. Um, 
Greg Robinson, who eventually he was he overthought it. He just kept overthinking about it to the point of paralyzation, you know, like he, he just, who am I supposed to block? What's the, what is my responsibility to the point where I, Ram coaches told me that they said, look, just block somebody, <laughs> even if it's the wrong guy, just block somebody at this point, you know, get out of your own head. He was the nicest guy in the world, had all the physical gifts. It wasn't because he didn't care. It's because he almost cared so much that he got into his own head, and that made him a hesitant player and an ineffective player. It wasn't about talent with him. It was just he couldn't. It was overanalyzation, and sometimes that gets the best of you too. So, uh, you know, be, be careful when you start laughing at guys or calling guys garbage on Twitter. I see all that. Doing things that you can only dream of doing. I laughed at Chris Dudley. He proved me wrong, and Jerry West, early on in Chris Dudley's career, pointed that out to me and said, "You're gonna—he's gonna get the last laugh on you, you idiot." Open your eyes, and I learned—I learned a lot that day. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. By the way, uh, don't forget to go check out the poker tournament tonight. Um, you know, it's—it's it's a great. Uh, um, uh, cause, I should say. I was looking for the right word. It's at the South Point Casino. It's Chef for Kids Poker Tournament, uh, which is now the first Tuesday of every month over at the South Point Casino. Starts at 6.30. It, it, it feeds kids. I Need I say any more? It's a tremendous, tremendous organization. Uh, Embajador Tequila is backing it up. There's all kinds of prizes. Uh, the cards start flying at 6.30 p.m. Try to get there around 6.20 uh, if you can uh, to, to make sure uh, you get your spot. South Point Casino, Chefs for Kids Poker Tournament. It's back, and it's going to be on uh, every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month. I want to say thanks to Sam Gordon uh, and Q Myers. I want to say thanks to Devon Cotton for doing uh, everything that you do over at Home Base. I want to say thanks to all the listeners. Uh, you're why we do this. Really appreciate it. And, of course, thanks to Embajador Tequila. We will talk to you guys tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m., and I'll have some visuals of Raiders practice tomorrow uh, here at the practice facility at Henderson. Talk to you guys then. It's easy to follow along with your favorite Raider Nation radio shows from anywhere. Listen live anytime on the Raiders app or at lvsportsnetwork.com. This is Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Thanks to you, Southern Nevada, Finley Chevrolet has gone back to back. For the second year in a row, Finley Chevy is the number one Chevrolet volume dealership west of Texas again. With huge savings, giant discounts, and our enormous inventory of new and pre-owned vehicles, you'll get the Chevrolet you want at the price you deserve. Come see why thousands have made the switch to Finley Chevrolet, home of the... Located in the Southwest at the 215 in South Rainbow. Buy new roads. This is JT for the best meat hookup you'll ever have here in Vegas. Wholesale quality restaurant meat at meetupvegas.com. My code is JTBrick for the discount. M-E-A-T upvegas.com. Code JTBrick. If you need to sell your house, talk to Aaron Taylor. You want to sell it fast and get the most cash. Talk to Aaron Taylor. The real
estate guy. Sell your house fast and get the most cash. We have never seen a real estate market like this one. If you were around in 2004 to 2010, you know what goes up must come down. And let me tell you, folks, you don't want to miss this boom. We have sold over 5,000 homes for over 26 years. People, don't let this opportunity go by. You have heard me for years and trust the brand, The Real Estate Guy. We give cash advances to all sellers for repairs, relocation, vacation, or whatever you need. All in place to get you the highest price possible. So call the real estate guy today and sell it fast and get the most cash. And I mean get the most cash. 702-310-6683. EXP Realty. Call for details. License number 388886. Talk to Aaron Taylor. The real estate guy. Hi, Chef Jet Tila here to introduce the Dragon Tiger Noodle Company to Las Vegas. I've traveled the world in search of the best noodles, like our house-made egg noodles in Chinese bone broth with bok choy and grilled chicken. Dragon Tiger Noodle Company. My noodles, your way. Make your voice heard on the JT The Brick Show. Weekday afternoons from noon to 2 p.m. on your home of the Raiders. Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. Many seniors do not understand the full market value of their life insurance policy. Your life insurance policy is a personal asset. And just like a house, you can sell your policy on the open market through licensed buyers. Many seniors need more cash for retirement or even to pay emergency financial expenses. Selling your life insurance policy can be a lucrative option. If the policyholder is a senior and wishes to find out if they are eligible to stop paying premiums and receive a sizable cash payment greater than the surrender value of the policy, 